the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and former FBI party planner. Uh, You know, uh, we'll get to it later. We're going to get to more of that uh, in the second hour. I'm sure you want to talk about it, but it'll be relevant with our conversation this hour, uh, the FBI, if you don't know, the FBI went to Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago and uh, conducted a raid. Raid! Oh, that's right. We're not allowed to say raid. It's not. We're not supposed to say raid. They went to um, Mar-a-Lago and conducted a soiree. And uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. The good news is, is that whatever you think about this crazy world we live in, and it is crazy, right? Don't you think? Once in a while, I think, well, maybe we've reached the peak of crazy. And then it just goes nuts again. Good thing that Jesus is on the throne and not any of us. But uh, it's not a surprise to Jesus what's going on. And he knows what actually is going on, which we really don't. Anyway, the good news is I've got Pastor Alan Jackson with me this hour. Next hour, we'll talk more about uh, the rest of the stuff and take your calls. And uh, later on, maybe this hour, we'll get to that. Um, But, you know, it's so important that when we have big news, especially if it's political news, and especially in a time now where we're so divided as people, that we don't get taken off track. My guest is Pastor Alan Jackson. You hear him daily on this station. Pastor Alan Jackson and his wife, Kathy, live near Nashville, Tennessee, where he has served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. And he, under his leadership, the church has grown from less than 30 people to more than 15,000. And his mission is to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and his biblical messages now reach and encourage people just like you on this station through Alan Jackson Ministries. He's the author of a ver- a new and aptly titled book called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Alan, welcome to Southern California Live. Well, thank you, Scott. It's good to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. You know, looking at the news, it just keeps getting better and better out there, doesn't it? <laughs> It certainly does, and I don't think we're finished yet. I've got a feeling it's going to deteriorate some more. You know, I you, you wonder, I thought, I remember after 2020 was over, it's New Year's of 2021, it's like, oh, good, that year's over, and some kind of relief, and then 2021 was a mess, and then we got to the end of 2021, I looked to 2022 with uh, trepidation, and I think that's correct, and I don't even know what to think for next year. I don't disagree. I, I think there's probably greater disruptions in front of us than what we've walked through this point. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, we've got a little turmoil fatigue. We would just like some clear air and some calm sailing for a little bit, but I don't think that's the season we're in. That is a good word there. I'm going to steal that from you, turmoil fatigue. Um You know, personally, uh, Alan, uh, we got to meet at the pastor's breakfast here in Los Angeles uh, a few months ago. It was great to meet you there. And uh, we got to chat for a little while. I am, I'm kind of a presidential historian. I've been to most of the presidential libraries, and I follow this. So I, I look at all of these things with some kind of maybe different curiosity and, and intrigue. Do you have any, any hobbies uh, with American history that you really like or something that really uh, you would spend some time uh, thinking about? <laughs> 
Well, once I earned a degree in American history, so. Oh, okay. Well, then you do. <laughs> I have a bit of interest in that arena, yes. Yeah. And I think what we're watching is unprecedented. It is unprecedented. There's a lot of political shenanigans through the years, but we haven't so far seen the FBI either do an unannounced search or a raid, depending on your vocabulary preference, on a former president. But I don't know why we're surprised. They accused him for years of being a Russian spy or a Russian asset, and that's been proven not to be true. And if they had the audacity to say that at the highest levels of the nation, I don't know why we'd be surprised that they're continuing to to make some rather um, – curious accusation. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see uh, what ultimately comes out of it. Well, tell us a little bit about your yourself. You've been on the air here now for a couple of years, so people are familiar with you as they, they listen. Uh, tell us about your family, and uh, and you're in uh, Tennessee, is that right? I am. I'm in the Nashville area. I have pastored the same congregation for almost 40 years, and so I've been in the same place but, you know, my heart is really to see people find the hope that comes from God. And I, I think we're, what we're walking through, as frustrating as it can be, I really think there's a tremendous opportunity in it. Because the church, I believe, had become so co-opted by comfort and convenience that we had really taken our eyes off of our objective. And in the midst of the turmoil and the shaking and all of the, the things that are happening, we're beginning to realign ourselves a little bit, and I think out of that are going to come some really good things for the people of God. You know, I agree with you. I think that that is something that God is doing. You say in your new book, Big Trouble Ahead, that at the 2020 Easter service at your church, you really felt a wake-up call. What what became clear to you on that day? Well, the first thing that became clear to me is how arrogant I'd been. Hmm. You know, I, I had this imagination that nothing would disrupt church. Right. <laughs> until until it did. And I'm standing in a completely empty sanctuary, and I was still naive enough. I wore my suit and tie and white shirt, and here I stand in an empty room looking at a red light, talking to people that I'm pretty confident were sitting in their pajamas on a sofa. Right, having uh, waffles it, and uh, enjoying their, their time yeah. at home a little bit. And I realized our world was changing and that I was going to have to change my attitude and, and a lot of my practices. And it, it was it was a gift. I mean, it was an uncomfortable gift, but everything about the way we practiced church changed. We had services outside for several months. Um, none of the artists in Nashville were working, so we started calling them and saying, hey, you want to come out and do a little concert after church? And week after week, we had the music people from Nashville out here, and they'd stand up and cry and say, I haven't been with people in this many weeks mm. or this many months. It meant You know, the world was changing, but our message didn't change. And so there's an opportunity in all of this. There is. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. My guest is Pastor Alan Jackson. And, uh, you know, Pastor, when we think about those those opportunities, do you feel like uh, the church was unprepared for uh, for big change or maybe even some of the tribulations that are going on right now? How, where is the church? Are we ready or are we still behind? You know, those are important questions, Scott. And I, I can speak for myself first, because I've spent a long time in the church. And the answer is yes, we were unprepared. Yeah. I, I was behind. I think we had habits and routines. I don't think we realized the degree to which we've been co-opted by our current culture. We kind of bought into the ideas that inclusivity and tolerance were the most important values we could hold. And I, I think we had lost a great deal of respect for God. What are some of the uh, ways that you think we were co-opted by our culture? 
Well, I think we were reluctant to even say that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, mm. that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We were, we'd lost the uniqueness of Jesus. Yeah. Because if you say that in a public setting, you can feel the air go out of a lot of rooms. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the simple fundamentals, the authority of the Scripture. We've got to come back to the Word of God and believe it has authority in our lives. That is so correct. I, we, uh, at a church I was at several years ago, this was 20 years ago now, they brought in this consulting firm, and they were going to—it was a big church, okay, several thousand people, and they were going to ask people questions about what they thought about the Bible. And they warned us as a staff. They said, you need to be prepared that very few of your people are going to believe that Jesus is the only way. Very few are going to believe that the Bible is authoritative. And we're like, no, that can't be true. And they showed us the data, and it was pretty shocking. I can only imagine it's the same or worse uh, at this period of time. Yeah, and that's our assignment. Right. You know, we want to put the windows at the church and say it's the problem with the pagans, but it's not the depravity of the wicked that's our problem. It's the indifference of the faithful. So how do and, we— and yeah. Go ahead. We've got to go back to telling the truth. So what do you think is the uh, the best way to do that? We've, you've been a pastor for now for a long time. You grew your church from a room full of people to a very large room full of people. Uh, lots of people online, radio, ministry— what are some ways specifically that churches today, and people in churches, uh, just speaking a regular person going to church, can they re-engage with Christ, remember their first love? Absolutely we can. I, I think I'm, I'm simple enough to go back and take Jesus' prescription. Because when he began his public ministry, he said, repent and believe. And I think that's exactly where we are. In, in biblically, repentance is a change of mind, how we think, and a change of direction, how we behave. You know, and those of us that imagined ourselves Christians are going to have to make some changes. You know, I think that that word repent is a word that we in the church sometimes, we cast that out to other people who aren't Christians, but it should be turned around and looked at each one of us, right? Absolutely. The best repenters in the world, I, I believe, have to be the Christians that are gaining the maturity. Yeah. It's not the wicked. That, I mean, the wicked repentance is an issue, but repentance begins in the hearts of God's people. Where are some areas that you would say to the church that we need to repent? What about in our, our families, in our relationships, maybe at work? Where do you think uh, the biggest struggle is for a lot of us? Well, I think we have to start in our kitchen tables. And I think we have to mm-hmm. start with the people that we're doing life with and have some honest conversations about whether we're honoring God in the, in the way we're conducting our lives and the way we're dealing with one another. We may need to ask for forgiveness there. Those are the hardest places in the world to be Christians. Yeah, that's true, the but people around us. Start at the kitchen table, we can make some progress. Yeah, that is very true. So what kind of, so if I'm sitting at my table with my family, and you know, when, when we come home from church, we will try to engage the kids. My my kids are, are 10 to 13. Do you have kids, Alan? We do, but they're grown. Now we've got grandkids. All right. How old are your grandkids? 12, 11, and 9. Okay. So your grandkids are the same age as my kids, but uh, we won't make an issue with that. Uh <laughs> Appreciate that encouraging word. Yeah, yeah. You know, we started really late, so uh, you know what's good for us is our kids are our kids are really young, and all of the, you know, that keeps us on the uh, the technology train longer, which I think is important for parents today because it's crazy. True. That is true. Yeah. So, what if you're going to talk to your grandkids, kids at that age? You know, what do you bring up first, or even your kids? You know, who are a different generation from you? They they obviously are going to have different uh, perspectives on some things. Where do we start? Well, I think we start with the simple things we know to do. If prayer hasn't been a part of your relationship together, it needs to be. 
Mm. And if you've got kids at home, pray for them before they go out the door in the morning or thank God for them before you come in the door in the evening. Um, you know, it's those simple things. If you haven't been willing to talk about the, what's happening in the world around us, um, we've got to talk to one another about that. If they're going to teach our kids in school to be confused about gender, we've got to teach them at home not to be. If they're not going to teach them in the public square that marriage is between a man and a woman, or then we'll have to talk about that at home. Um, I, I think we have imagined we could offload some of those responsibilities that I believe begin with us in the family. Mm. I don't think God has redefined family. And it's, but it's going to take a little courage to help the kids walk back to that. That's right. And, you know, we you offload is such a good word because I think we, we tend to offload that to our church and our Sunday school and our youth group that has them for, what, an hour or two a week? Absolutely. And, you know, kids learn far more by what you do than what you say. That's definitely. And if we spend four hours on the practice fields with them playing soccer and baseball or whatever the sport du jour is, than we do helping them learn about their faith. We're really not helping them be prepared for what's coming. That's right. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. My guest is Pastor Alan Jackson, author of Big Trouble Ahead. You know, in your book, you mentioned prayer, and such a great word there for a simple way that any family can start to mature with their kids or grandkids is to pray for them every day. In your book, you go through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, you talk about the fundamentals of our faith. Is there a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that you think most Christians should revisit? Well, I think we could take almost any line in there, and it, to me, feels like it's a fresh message for today. But when Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I don't believe that was an abstract theological concept. I think the prayer is that the will of God will be expressed through our lives. Yeah. You know, I'd be happy if somebody be elected to office would go do the will of God, and I didn't have to be bothered with it. Right. It's far more awkward for me to have to live with my neighbor and try to practice God's will. But I really think that's the point of the prayer, that the change starts in our hearts. And if we'll start there, that's a good beginning point. Yep, I think that's right. So your book is called um, Big Trouble Ahead. How did you come up with that title? Well, the biblical word is tribulation. It means big trouble. Yeah. And the last book of the Bible is about huge trouble. And the description before we get to the ultimate tribulation is a season of tribulations, of troubles. And I, with COVID and the introduction of that virus from Wuhan, I think it was the beginning of a tremor. And I think we're seeing them continue to escalate from the violence in our cities. I mean, Ed, you know the list better than I do. You're in L.A. Yeah. Uh, we're not done with the season yet, and wishing it away won't make it so. We're going to have to make some different choices. We are. What choices? Uh, you know, we we talked about that a little bit. What what are some things that you would really see us doing? Like, do you feel like this is? Uh, are we getting close to the time of Christ? Should we even speculate Christ returning? Should we speculate about that, or should we just realize that that could come at any time, and we just need to get back to the basics? Well, I think it's important to recognize the season. There's some things we don't know. He said none of us know the day or the hour. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to spend our time making charts and trying to decide some things we don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, and I've had to make peace with that. But we can know we're in a time of upheaval and realignment, and we can make the choices we have to do to recenter ourselves and our walk. We can start to tell the truth with new determination. You know, we've heard the line, follow the science for the last two and a half years, almost without ceasing. Right. 
But i tell you one thing. Science doesn't change from Tennessee to California. The science is the same. So if we're not practicing the same thing, we're not following the science. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to have the courage to say that. That's not a political statement. That's not an ideological statement. That's a, science, that's a statement that emerges out of the practice of scientific theory. And we have lived so long amidst deception that we've almost, we're unacquainted with the truth and how to tell it. And the best way is just to start to practice that in our personal lives. And the, you know, the idea of following the science, when you were talking about that, it just went through my head that Jesus told us to follow him. And there's so much more hope and truth in being able to do that. Well, I hope it's not an either or. That's right. At least least in theory, science is about a search for the truth. Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. The ultimate authority in our lives is Jesus. If that pandemic had been as deadly as they told us initially as it was, the church didn't have the privilege of sheltering in place. We would have had to go out and cared for the sick. Right. Our messaging was off-center from the jump. But it was just a reflection of where our hearts were when that began. And I'm a part of this problem. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm just saying God is awakening us to a new season and a new set of responses to our world. Yeah. Um, You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow with Alan Jackson. And, uh, you know, Alan, when we think about that and the future of the church and, and the lessons I think that we all have learned and are learning, how do we make sure that we don't just go back to where we were in 2019 or whatever year our church is still doing church, you know, some of some of us are 1952 still. Um, how do we go forward in this new world? What are the what would you say are some keys for for us to not fall backward, but to move forward on mission? Well, that's a good question, Scott. I think we can go back to some of the things Jesus taught us to pray. Give me today my daily bread. Mm. You know, I understand those words, but that's an annoying prayer to me. Right. What well, I really want. I want all the bread I'm ever going to need for all of my days. Right. And so I have to make a heart change and come back and I say, maybe I could live with the same kind of faithfulness that the Hebrew slaves did when you delivered them out of the Egyptian brick pits. You gave them everything they needed one day at a time. And I'm going to have to come back and begin to trust the Lord in that way. We have lived lives that really weren't dependent upon the Lord. We just invited him in as a hobby on the weekends for a few minutes. And now God in his mercy is, is a reminding us that he really is at the center of the story. Yeah, I think that that, I think the Lord is stirring things up for a good reason. I think that Absolutely. It, you know, it's, it's always what the Lord's doing. It's always for a good reason, right? But I think that he is stirring in our churches to make this change. I'm excited about that part of it. Do you have um, any Bible passages or things to remember for people who are are afraid? You know, what we're talking about on the news, war with China, war with Russia. We got the polio, we got the COVID, we got the monkeypox, we got uh, the FBI, we got the Bidens, we got the Trumps, we got whoever it is you're supposed to be afraid of. That's right. That's what we're getting burdened by. How do we as believers step away from that and go, I don't need to be afraid? What would you, how would you encourage people the most for that right now? Well, I think there's a couple of things we get to do. Jesus said not to worry, and if he said not to worry, I believe it's possible to lay it down. Yep. And the fear, you know, there's some things we look at that are frightening, but it, the, the fear really is structured by what our trust is in. And if I thought the dollar was securing my future or Wall Street was securing my future, I'd probably be terrified these days. Yeah. But I have to trust that God's provision for my life will secure me far beyond the strength or integrity of the American economy. 
But to walk through great change is unsettling. And, and fear is only debilitating if you put it first in your life. You can do courageous things while you're afraid. I think most new parents are afraid of the challenge of the responsibility of that new infant that they bring home from the hospital. Mm-hmm. But they still do a good job with that. So the fact that you're afraid doesn't disqualify you. But you want to lead with your trust, and you want to lead with your belief, and you want to lead with the confidence that God will take you through and not be paralyzed by the fear. I think that's a good word. Your book is called Big Trouble Ahead, and then the subtitle is A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Tell us a little more about your book and where our listeners can get a, get a copy of it. It comes out on the 16th of August. Is that right? Yes. The book releases August 16th. You can pre-order it if you go to alanjackson.com or to Amazon, and then on August the 16th, you can get it at any of the places where you would normally uh, buy your books. You pre-order it. There's some special things. I was just in Jerusalem a couple of days ago. and We made a video with Jerusalem and kind of the backdrop of the, the, what's happening in the Middle East to help us imagine what's coming. But whether you pre-order or you wait till the 16th, I believe it'll help people give them a stable platform for navigating. It's a, it's a tumultuous time. That's not our imagination. But God is watching over us. You can trust Him. And I think that having a real plan is a, a very positive thing. So, Alan, uh, any words for us uh, before I, I let you go? Well, Scott, I appreciate what you're doing, and I, I think the people of God are the hope. You know, our, our deliverance isn't coming from, because of a politician or a political party. It'll be because God's people's hearts change. The Philistines didn't have the power to defeat the Israelites, nor did the Midianites or any of the other ites. When God's people's hearts were aligned correctly, God's provision was in full force. And he's watching over us. We just need to choose him. That's right. I appreciate that. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today on Southern California Live. My guest has been Alan. Go ahead, Alan. No, thank you. I appreciate all your good work. All right. Thank you for all you're doing uh, in your ministry. And everybody, you can listen to Alan Jackson every day on this station. And uh, his sermons and his book is called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing. You can pre-order it at alanjackson.com. You can also uh, get it soon on amazon.com or wherever you get your books. And uh, we really appreciate having you on, Alan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. All right. God bless you. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. Your host will be back in just a moment. If you'd like to join our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557. This is the Tuesday edition of SoCal Live. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon, wherever you're at. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Later in the program, uh, next hour, we'll we'll share a little bit more about what's going on with uh, the... Uh, stuff going on with the uh, the raid in uh, in Florida there at Mar-a-Lago. Raid! You're not allowed to say raid. We'll just come up with a new word. We'll solve that problem with all of that later. But you know, as we as we talk about any of these things and we think about the world today, there are so many things just to focus on. I think uh, our guest in the last segment was Pastor Alan Jackson, and you know, he said some things that um, I think are true. One of them is that we are we have some turmoil fatigue. I liked that. Do you feel fatigued by the turmoil? There's always something. 
I have this this meme that I sent around at New Year's because I thought it was funny, but it was ominous, and it turns out to be right. And the meme was, you've got a a, a surfer or boogie boarder in the ocean, and there's this kind of big wave about to smash into him, and underneath it it says 2020. And then the next one is 2021. It's the same surfer, but it's a much bigger wave getting ready to crash into him. And then the next one was 2022, and it's a bigger wave with Godzilla coming out of the top of it. And that's kind of how I feel. Uh, about uh, 2022 and the craziness, but you know, one of the we get great peace from understanding that none of this is a surprise to the Lord, that He doesn't look down and go, "What in the world is going on down there?" He knows, and I do think that from a biblical perspective, we need to step back and make sure that we're looking at the world through a biblical perspective, which gives us all kinds of hope, and it takes away the fear and concern that we have because the Lord is in charge. Jesus is on the throne. He's going to come back when he's ready, and the world is going to be prepared for that, and there's going to be a lot of turmoil headed that direction. That's what the Word of God tells us, and we can rest in that, and we can rest because we also have a book of Revelation that tells us how it's going to end. And any student of of history, if you take an honest look at the Scriptures and then take a look at the news, we're barreling toward that. I'm not one of the people who says it's coming next week. I'm open to that. That would be awesome. Maybe it's coming in our lifetime. Maybe it's not. I don't know. People have been saying that for forever. But it is coming eventually, and we should have great hope in that. Do you have anything that reminds you to look at the world through a biblical perspective? Is there something in your life that you have? Maybe it's a favorite Bible verse that you have. Maybe it is something that you heard from a friend or a pastor or something that just stuck with you, that God put with you, that for some reason that just stuck with you and it gives you hope and a reminder to stay focused. You know, our focus needs to be on making disciples. You know, all the craziness in the world is going to happen and we have the answer. Um, and Pastor Jackson was right to say that uh, the church needs to repent. You know, a lot of the problem we have is we lose credibility when we're just as nuts as the uh, the rest of the world. We don't need to be. We've got a word from God that tells us what's going to happen, who we are, where we're going. People are going to believe it. People are not. But our job isn't to, you know, our job isn't to convince everybody. Our job is to tell our story. Our job is to pour out our cup and let the Lord fill the other people's cups. Let the Holy Spirit be in that equation with you. Your, your role is to demonstrate and announce the gospel to the people in your relational world. I think that is so key that the change that we need is not going to come from distant people who we've never met, most of us, and certainly don't know, even very you know less of us, in Washington or Sacramento or downtown or wherever. And we need something to remind us of that. In my office, I have three framed documents. And um, they are not the original documents. They are copies that I have printed out, just in case you think that I have an original copy of the Nicene Creed or Richard Nixon's resignation letter or anything else. One of them is the uh, the Nicene Creed. Does your, does your faith tradition get into the creeds and the history of it? You know, as a Baptist, I've been a Baptist or in a Baptistic type of church most of my life. Uh, you know, Baptists, they don't like creeds too much. 
You know, it's kind of a, a, a Baptist thing, you know, well, the creed isn't the Bible, and uh, so I'm not going to get into it. Fine, I think you have to look at it that way. That's The creed's not the Bible. But the creed is a pretty good statement. There's, there's multiple creeds out there. Um, and maybe you never thought of it, but do you have a concise statement of your faith that you can honestly say, well, maybe it's not 100%, you know, you know, there's questionable things. The Apostles' Creed, you know, has a line in it about uh, Jesus descending into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the grave. A lot of people will biblically take an issue of whether or not Jesus went to hell. Some people think he went to hell to proclaim victory. Other people think he never went to hell. What are you talking about? Uh, It's in that creed. Okay, but if you get past those kinds of things, um, it's great to just have a reminder of who you are, of the basics of what you believe. Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Pretty good statement. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten to the Father. This is the Nicene Creed, modernized version of it a little bit. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us, And for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian church. Lots of versions will say Catholic church. It doesn't mean Catholic like Roman Catholic sort of denominationally. It means universal church. That's what Catholic means. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, a seminary course, or you could go through, you know, different points here and there and translation issues and things like that, but it's pretty good. The reason I have that on my wall is I just want to always remember that God has always been with his people, that God has never left. And I think about our brothers and sisters in our spiritual ancestry who were murdered because of their faith. Many are being murdered today, okay, for their faith. But you are here today, if you are a believer, or if you're listening and you're not a Christian, but you listen to the station because you're curious and uh, whatever the reason is that you're listening, maybe the person in the cubicle next to you just has the radio on too loud, you're listening. The only reason there's Christians today is because some Christians did not give up the faith when they were told to or else there would be death. I mean, I think that that is something that is pretty, pretty cool that we're here for that. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can join our conversation by going to 888-528-2557, calling 888-528-2557. Do you have anything that reminds you of the basics of your faith? Uh, I have this, this creed, the Nicene Creed on there, and it reminds me. It reminds me of a time where Christians... You know, around the time that that was written, 300 and something A.D., just before that was written, Christians were being fed to the lions and executed all over Rome, 
the Roman Empire. You know the Colosseum, if you go to Rome, which I have not been, I would love to go, but I've seen pictures. And the Colosseum is there. Well, they used to sacrifice Christians in there, among other things. And an interesting thing about that is that when you go there today, in there is the emperor's box, and the emperor, the Roman emperor would go in there, and that would be the box seat, right? The greatest, best seat in the house. And you've seen that old movie, Gladiator. That's where you give the thumbs up or the thumbs down, that kind of thing. I don't know how much of that is historical necessarily. But the emperor would personally oversee the execution of Christians for their faith from sitting in this booth. You know what sits in that booth today? A big old cross. A big old cross is sitting there in the place where some human being cast judgment on Christians just for their faith. The cross is there. I heard another preacher talk about this, and he said, you know, one of the most amazing things, wouldn't it be an amazing thing to go back to those early Christians, the early Christians who were sacrificed in that place or in other places, and let them know that a couple thousand years later, really just a couple hundred years later, that in that place where the emperor sat and proclaimed their guilt and their gave approval to their execution just because of their faith, that in that same box would be a cross that would become the symbol of salvation and grace, and that all these years later, people around the world would not be naming their kids after Caesars normally. How many little kids do you know named Nero? Anybody name your baby Nero? You probably didn't. You might name your dog Nero. That happens. But instead, we tend to name our kids after biblical characters, James and John and Mary and Ruth and names like that, translated often in other languages, but the same names. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing about our faith. And I'm telling you that because, you know, in our world today, we are seeing the Lord stir up the church and we are seeing a lot of change. And I think we're at a point where we are going to be called out, not by the culture, but by the Lord to testify to our faith in a way that we haven't done in a long time, maybe in a major way, where we're going to be called out of the buildings to go to our neighbors, to our own family, to people and say, Jesus loves you. He's the Savior, and he's the salvation. And if you're afraid of that, if that worries you, the Lord has been with Christians through, through the worst of persecutions, things that you are not seeing in this country anyway, anywhere near, those people had to say. And today, those executioners, we name our dogs after them, but we name our kids after the followers of Jesus. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. Do you have anything that you keep around to remind you of your faith, to remind you of where your hope is? I'm going to talk about that again a little bit more when we get back, 888-528-2557. This is Scott Furrow. The Tuesday edition of Southern California Live will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. And it's great to be your host. We're together every weekday from 3 to 5. And I enjoy it. You can call and join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Next hour, we will talk about what's going on in the news and all of the uh, hubbub with uh, the FBI and whoever. But we'll take a look and say, you know what, what is it that uh, we can do moving forward? 
how should we look at that as as Christians? So we'll talk about that a little bit more. And that might be on your mind. You know, it's been if you if you listen to the news all day, there's so many bad habits that we have. I think today where we can have the 24 hour news cycle, and you're just watching your your Fox News, your CNN, MSNBC, whatever channel you're watching. Maybe it's talk radio all day, and uh, of course we love it that you listen to this show. We want to bring you some relief to all of that, maybe some better Christian perspective. That's what we do here at Southern California Live, and we have some fun. And so I've been thinking about that, and as we talked about our uh, what's going on before the break, I wanted to know if you have anything that you use to help you remember your your mission to remember that you are loved by God, remember that your purpose in this life is to make disciples, that you have a Savior who will never let you go. What gives you, you know, is there something that is a reminder that gives you hope for who you are? And I was sharing that in my office, I've got three framed quotes, basically. The first one, and I talked about it before the break, is the Nicene Creed, and just how that reminds me that we have always been, the church has always been, that the gates of hell are not going to prevail. And there have been dramatically worse times for the church. In fact, around the world today, there's worse times for the church as far as persecution goes. Um, and the church is going to prevail. There is no doubt about that. Jesus promised that. And if you ever just think, gosh, things are really bad and things are not going well, you know, take a look at what Jesus has done through history with the church when all the odds are, you know, even with our own mistakes, you know, someone's always going to, you know, call and say, well, you know, the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, the church has really screwed up a few times, uh, usually in our pursuit of of power outside of the power that we have with the gospel. And in spite of all of that, the church has succeeded did you know that at the time of the beginning of the church, there was about one Christian for every 12 million people on earth? One in 12 million. That's about where we started, right around the time of Pentecost. Today, it depending on your survey and depending on what you call Christian, you know, practicing Christian versus somebody just born, you know, baptized Christian, or they're born in a country that considers itself a Christian country. You know, some, some people say they're Christian because they're from Ireland, but they've never been to church. They don't even know what it means. Um, versus people who profess Christ as their Savior. That's really the the Christian. Started at 1 in 12 million. You know what it is today? It's about 1 in 12. Some have it even at 1 in 8. And that's people who actually profess Christ as their Savior, not just people who happen to be born in a Christian country and claim that. That's amazing when you consider how badly we mess up and how many times we have to get reset. That's amazing. You know why that happens? Because we're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Jesus' church, we are saved by grace, not by doing everything right. And his church is going to prevail. The creeds, and you can argue with them if you want to theologically, that's fine. But the basic ideas of them are, are right. They're there to remind us the simplicity of our faith. We're saved by grace. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all there, where we're headed. The next thing I have on my wall is secular but I've been thinking about it because with all this uh, the stuff going on yesterday and uh, the the raid that went on in uh, at Mar-a-Lago, no, I said it again. I'm not supposed to say raid. Uh, the invasion, the the party. What do you call it? If we can't call it a raid, apparently we're supposed to call it a uh, a warranted federal action or something like that, which nobody talks that way. Anyway. 
what was brought up is that the raid happened on the anniversary of Richard Nixon's resignation in 1974, August 8th, 1974. That's true. Uh, This would be the, what, 48th anniversary, 47th anniversary, if I'm doing math correctly. Yeah, 47. Does it matter to do math correctly? I don't know. It's a whole other problem. 47 years ago yesterday, Nixon resigned. 47 years ago today, he left office and uh, did his famous thing with uh, the helicopter with the uh, peace sign out there. Uh, You can go stand on that helicopter, by the way, at the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda. I highly recommend it. I have a picture of myself doing that, of course. Anyway, an interesting thing happened. I don't, his his resignation, and I told you before, and many times I've told you, I'm a presidential historian. I get into this, right? So if you go to the presidential libraries with me, and we're blessed to have two of them here in uh, the Los Angeles area, Southern California, Nixon's in Yorba Linda and President Reagan's in Simi Valley. If you go with me, you're going to be there all day because I read everything. I'm one of those guys. You know, when my family goes with me, we take two cars so that they can go home and I'll be there the rest of the day. The resignation letter, you know, how do you resign if you're the president of the United States and you're the first one ever to do it? Well, Nixon wrote a very simple letter. Dear Mr. Secretary, meaning the Secretary of State, that's who he resigned to. They must have had a conversation. Who do I resign to? Who do I send this letter to? Dear Mr. Secretary, I hereby resign the office of President of the United States. Sincerely, Richard Nixon. And uh, he gave it to Henry Kissinger, who's still alive and just wrote a book. He's 99. And uh, Nixon initialed it, 1135 a.m. on August 9th is the official where he turned it in. Well, when he left there and he was leaving the White House, and you have to say, this has to be the saddest day in his life and just about anybody's life. It was a, a, a terribly sad and, and disgraceful thing and stupid, right? The whole Watergate affair and the cover-up and all of that. It's usually the stupid that gets you, and that's kind of what happened. And you think about how sad that might have been. But, you know, one of the things that I thought and I think when I look at this, is, that's most amazing is when he was leaving, it's traditional for presidents when they leave office to give a, a final speech to the staff, the White House staff. Every president does that on their way out. And he did that anyway, even though he's leaving in uh, with resignation. This is what he did. And it's everybody's crying and it's really hard and all of that stuff. But he says some amazing things in there. And one of the things that he says is he wants to pass this along to a lot of its young people and he's concerned that people are going to be discouraged in their country discouraged in their leadership all of those kinds of things which is i understand why people might be you know discouraged by that but one of the last things he said and this i have this over the resignation letter he said as i leave i think we all of us should remember this we think sometimes when things happen to us that don't go the right way We think when someone dear to us dies, we think when we lose an election, we think that when we suffer a defeat, that all is ended. Not true. It is only a beginning, always. The young must know it. The old must know it. It must always sustain us because the greatness comes not when things always go good for you, but the greatness comes and you are really tested when you take some knocks, some disappointments, when the sadness comes. Because only if you have been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. And I think about that speech he gave, and I think that's amazing to muster up that on that terribly sad and embarrassing day for him. And it's so true. And I have that on my wall because it encourages me that even on my worst days, and I've, I've been on a high mountain and I've been in a deep valley, I don't like the valleys. 
I don't like them, but I can tell you what, that's where God did his work on me. Whether I put myself in that valley or sometimes somebody knocks you down the hill and you go down that valley, it's not really your fault, but there you are. That's where God does his work. And if you're just struggling with what's happening and you're looking at the world today and you're going, oh, it's just hopeless. No, it isn't. We always have hope. And if you're just struggling in your own life, there is always something better. And that's how God does things, that your best days are always ahead of you. And if you're having a hard time, maybe you should let the Lord work on you and trust in him. So that encourages me. So I have the Nicene Creed and I have that Nixon quote. And that's very personal to me, maybe. Maybe you're thinking that's kind of, but I, I think that maybe you have something that can encourage you. Now, the third thing I have on there, people always read the Nicene Creed and they read the Nixon thing and then they go to the next one. Uh, and the next one says this, it says, he's not pining, he's passed on. This parrot is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone to meet its maker. He's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed him to the perch, he'd be pushing up the daisies. He's off the twig. He's kicked the bucket. He's shuffled off the mortal coil, run down the curtain, and joined the choir invisible. This is an ex-parrot. Now, now what that is, is it's a quote from Monty Python's Dead Parrot Sketch, where a guy goes into a pet shop and he buys a parrot. And the parrot's dead, but the pet shop owner nailed it to the perch to make it look like it's alive. And he goes in and he has this hilarious conversation as he's trying to return this dead parrot. And the part I enjoy is that people go in my office and they read the Nicene Creed, they read the Nixon thing, and then they read this, and they're trying to find some kind of significance to the parrot. And they're trying to read it serious, and it's not serious at all. And they're like, what is this? And then I tell them. And the reason I have that up there is that you have to laugh. You have to have some fun in your life, regardless of your circumstances. You might be sick. You might be really struggling. You might be hurt. You might be sad. You might have stuff going on. But if you can take a moment just to enjoy your life every day, if you can not let the things that you can't control or the things that you can't change, if you can let those stay aside just for a moment so you can have some time of enjoyment every day, and not get too worked up in all the stuff that burdens us, I think life gets better. And that reminds me that with with Jesus, he wants us to enjoy our time with him now. He wants us to enjoy the life that we have. And even though sometimes it's hard, and for some people it's harder than others for various reasons, we should still laugh and have the joy that comes from the Lord. That's joy. And we can get that from, from Jesus And sometimes you can get it from Money Python, but the joy actually comes from Jesus Christ. All right, you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. When we come back, we'll talk about what's going on in uh, Washington and uh, get some perspective on that. And we'll hear from you. The number is 888-528-2557. You can call now if you want to join that conversation, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. If you missed the podcast, go to your radio station website, kkla.com or kprz.com. If you're in San Diego, I'm Scott Furrow. The Tuesday edition of SoCal Live will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.